The Italian Wine Podcast is the community-driven platform for Italian wine geeks around the world. Support the show by donating at italianwinepodcast.com. Donate five or more euros and we'll send you a copy of our latest book, My Italian Grape Geek Journal, absolutely free. To get your free copy of My Italian Grape Geek Journal, click support us at italianwinepodcast.com or wherever you get your pods. Grazie mille. Welcome to The Next Generation with me, your host, Victoria Cece. This is your podcast to learn about all the cool things Italians 30 and under are up to in the food and wine scene. And yes, that includes all the best things to eat. All right, guys, it's time for another episode of The Next Generation. Today, we are taking a trip, a bi-coastal trip, we can say, a little bit of New York and a little bit of Sicily with Nino Azzaro. Ciao, Nino. Ciao, ciao a tutti. Yeah, for sure we could say by by coastal, if not even uh, by continental at this point. Yeah, I feel like there's so many Sicilians in New York. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> New York is the new Sicily. People don't want to admit it, but it's also an island. So I think it's the the island vibe that unites us all. So we'll say by island. No, can you say that? By island. <laughs> by island. <Yeah. laughs> There's so, you're right. There's so many Sicilians to the point where every time I get asked where my family is from, when they hear I'm from New Jersey, I know it's not New York, it's immediately, ah, so you must, your family's from Sicily. And I'm like, no, but <laughs> not even close, but okay. Oh my gosh. Now you're making me, we need to get into the podcast, but you're making me laugh because I once went to a gym in Verona and yeah. like, Obviously, there's a misconception, like, and we can chat about this through food as well, but there's a misconception, like, Italians, like, have this homogenous almost culture, which they absolutely do not. And so I was in Verona, and I went to the gym and doing, like, the sign-up, and it's, like, this big, buff, like, former bodybuilder guy. He sits me down, and he starts talking, and he stops me, and he goes, wait, where are you from? And I was like, well, I'm from New Jersey originally, but... I'm my family. I have like my father's Italian family in Italy. He goes, when you speak, you sound Sicilian. My mouth just dropped. I was like, has this man ever been to Sicily? Like, yeah, probably not. <laughs> probably not. Because I, mean, I was yeah. like, I don't, I definitely do not sound Sicilian. <laughs> Wait, what, what is your accent? Like, se parliamo in italiano. Cioè, tipo... Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Dai, io, my accent is, is un po', it's a misto, like for sure. <laughs> Definitely Centro Italia, definitely Centro Italia. See, it's like Centro Sud. I've I've traveled around and then my family's from uh, Southern, like Lazio. So I have a bit of that. But yeah, from Florence, Verona, Rome, gets a little mixed up. But this podcast is about you, Nino. So who are you? Who is Nino Azzaro? So who am I? So Nino Azzaro... I am the uh, fifth generation of the uh, Asaro family. Uh, we're olive oil growers in Partanna, Sicily, province of Trapani, specializing in Castelvetrano olives. Myself, I'm the uh, youngest, I'm the oldest of the fifth generation uh, and currently the youngest within the family company taking care of the business development here in the United States. Awesome. So you got some big boots to fill. Indeed, big boots. Uh, I would say, you know, there's no, <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, Sicilian men, we're not uh, big, but we're also mighty. So it's all about the the essence, you know. Il vino buono è sempre nella botte piccola. 
The best wine is in the smallest barrels for anyone who didn't know what that meant. I love that. I've never heard that before. I'm actually, I'm writing that, that phrase down right now. So how old are you, Nino? I am 24 years old. You're 24? I'm 24, yeah. You're not. Wait, what? I am, yeah. Am I too young for your podcast? Or? No, you're actually the perfect age. It's supposed to be 30 under 30, but I don't know why I thought that you were like 29, like I, or some, no, no, no. Okay, wait. So for those of you who don't know, I know you through my friend Tiffany, or we met through different people, but I remember you because you, didn't you go to school? Didn't you go to Fordham? Oh yeah. I went to Fordham uh, for one year, but yeah, I had a lot of friends of different classes and, uh, and different years. That's why a lot of people always mess up my age, you know, think that I'm much older than I actually am, but uh, then they get to know me and uh, voila, 24 year old. I know. I mean, that's a compliment. Like I, this had nothing to do with like the way you look at just like all the things that you are doing. And then through the different friends that like the mutual friends we have, I just assumed you were in your later twenties, but even more amazing 24. Wow. Okay. So I've got to catch up. (laughs) so one question for you can you tell us one thing about yourself that says you're under 30 without like saying you're under 30 one thing about myself that says that i'm under 30 without telling that i'm under 30 the first wine from etna that i ever drank was frank ornelison that's a good one gosh yes okay fine fair fair for all the wine folks and natural wine folks out there ding 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 that was a good one what are you drinking currently have you drank anything cool recently i have been drinking a bunch of stuff for kind of from all over the places most recently i've been on a big white burgundy fanatic really really love uh Sant and doman rouleau as kind of my my absolute white burgundy favorites just like so crisp clean little buttery not too hokey just perfect and then some good uh, nebbiolo baroli kind of a mix of everything uh, in terms of favorite producers or producers that have been drinking the most probably out of uh, etna been drinking a lot of girolamo russo shout out to girolamo i mean he's one of truly the Etna uh, pioneers that I admire extremely, extremely a lot, uh, both for his whites and his red. Probably his whites even more than his red. I think what he has done with the San Lorenzo has been truly, truly phenomenal. And then I tend to, you know, shift and drink anything that makes sense for the time and location that I'm in. When I'm in the United States, I tend to go more on the French route, and I know my Italian friends will probably want to crucify me, but uh, when I'm in Italy, I drink Italian. Well, what I love is that we were just talking about like what makes you sound under 30, and then I ask you what you're drinking, and you're immediately like, I'm drinking white burgundy, and immediately you're like over 40. <laughs> yeah, like 60 year old, like uh, living in uh, West Village or Gohanas. Oh my gosh, for sure. And I do, I want to just go on that shout out for Girolamo Russo because really fantastic wines coming from him. I I love his Nerina. It's one of my favorites. I mean, it's so elegant, but it's something I can drink all the time. 
if there were enough quantities. <laughs> I mean, there's so many producers to shout out. I mean, even more locally, there's this guy, Antonio Gaudioso from my town, started to make mm. a lot of Catarratto, Rifermentati di Catarratto, Sanzibibbo, small producer, but truly highlighting one of my favorite grape variety, which is the, the Catarratto, that for many mm. years was kind of lost in the equation because it was too manipulated and pretty much all of the flavor taken away. And then the Viola brothers, uh, both Aldo and uh, Alessandro Viola, Penalcamo kind of rejuvenated. Aldo making it to one of the extremes and now seeing this grape varietal that has always been indigenous to Sicily being, you know, repurposed and I guess re-offered in its original format is, is truly phenomenal and probably the most interesting and loved variety uh, at the moment. Absolutely. And it's a stunning varietal. And I know, who is it? Like, um, uh, De Bartoli is if, if focusing on, because of the Cattarato Bianco Lucido, focusing on highlighting that unique biotype, which is really special because a lot of people, again, like still learning about these different Sicilian varietals and how they shine in different areas, but also how different they are within those areas. But before we dive into the wine, I want to talk a little bit about you and, and, and what you do in the food world. So where are you based currently? I am currently based between uh, Sicily uh, in Partanna and uh, New York City. So kind of uh, the, uh, the bicontinental uh, island to island trip of two completely opposite places. But I love to be both in the farm as well as in the city here in New York. That's the perfect balance. I think that's the dream balance. Oh, absolutely. You're able to unplug and go in realities that are opposite from each other and you enjoy them at its best. And so like, what are the two, when you like return uh, home in Sicily, like what's the thing you look forward to most? And then the same for New York. It's the, um, definitely when I go back home, for sure, the people is what characterizes the thing that I look the most, but then the kind of people is what changes between the place. When I go in Sicily, I'm looking for family, that sense of home, of hominess, cozy food, things that are braised, delicious meals together that are long and kind of the, you know, romantically so, the vita lenta italiana that you simply cannot enjoy here. And I'm looking for, you know, the small moment, talking to these olive farmers, talking to the fruttivendolo, the going to the pescheria, kind of living their life piece by piece, but so thoughtfully so. And then coming back to New York, what I look more the most is actually the the creativity, the input, the diversity, kind of seeing the chaos of so many things and ideas and plethora of people from all backgrounds coming together and creating, you know, unique way of seeing the world and ultimately the balance of the two allows me to take the best of both worlds and apply it in each scenario both bringing kind of the new lens to what i'm doing in sicily uh, as well as bringing a little bit of the essence and reality and kind of sense of community and joy from italy to new york actually I was just about to ask you that um in more detail could you tell us kind of how you are bringing this new energy to like as the next generation to your family's business sure so family business of course i'm not making wine uh, even though i uh, 
talk extensively about it. I like to drink it, but rather being in the olive oil industry, I take it first and foremost from the agrarian perspective. And I think it's important, you know, to note my family business is vertically integrated. So we are touching everything from farming up to packing and distribution. And even more so, what is often lost in the uh, CPG world, the consumer packed good or any food product, is the affectionate nature and call back to the earth. At the end of the day, food product is ultimately an agricultural product. And for me, the biggest importance has been into telling the story, welcoming people to the story, and emphasizing that the, the pyramid only works if you have stronger and solider foundation at an agricultural level that is both community-based by building a network of farmers that truly love, enjoy, and that are supported, a network of people that revolve around quality, so always this constant need of uh, evolving and making sure to make the best decision possible to have the highest quality fruit possible, crushing them sooner as soon as possible, picking them at the right time, making sure hydrating the field, so on and so forth. And so I think this is where the balance between New York comes into play that gives me kind of the, the extra mile to think different within a sector that ultimately revolves around the sense of community. How I bring it back in the United States within the role of business development marketing is specifically not only narrating the story, but then playing it out to a series of events, uh, inviting people over to Sicily, vice versa, kind of allowing chefs to then showcase and be ambassador themselves of my product, of the, of the Partanna brand. Partanna is my main brand, a uh, brand that has been in my family, created by my family in 1922, actually in Brooklyn, New York. And the brand takes the name Partanna from two things. The hometown, where we're from, Partanna, Sicily, in the province of Trapani, as well as kind of Partanna as this communal effort of all of the farmers of Partanna bringing the olives together and essentially representing a place, a location, an identity. And now my role as a kind of the ultimate ambassador in the United States is to be able to not only bring the product and the quality and the taste, but rather as I'm going out to these restaurants, as I'm going out to these specialty retailers, as I'm expanding the brand, allowing the chefs, allowing these uh, retailers, allowing the end consumer to further perpetuate what we're all about. And so kind of participating in a deeper sense of community by using our product and understanding what goes behind it. Ultimately, the, the food community is a community and needs to be uh, even more so propelled as such. Absolutely. And I mean, I, I really like what you said um, in the beginning about um, like food products are also agricultural products, because I think something that's so important is kind of closing that gap as much as we can between consumers and producers, because the supply chain gets so crazy, right? There's so many different moving parts. There's also, you know, large, big, like very big producers out there that can control a lot of the game. But with something like olive oil and olives, which is an artisanal, it's a, it's, it's something that like your family has passed down through generations and has a lot of questions around it. 
it's like your role is even more important because I could only imagine the the misunderstandings about olive oil that you encounter or olives. Of course. And I mean, and this comes actually from my own interest because I love, love, love olive oil. Have you found to be the biggest challenge in like selling a high quality olive oil in New York? The biggest challenge is to, let's go back. I always think that olive oil or the olive oil world is about 40 years before the wine world, meaning that the wine world is already four years ahead in terms of innovation, marketing, sales, and the way that people perceive it. Olive oil itself is difficult to sell at a higher quality, mostly from a price point, simply because the consumer is not able to quite assimilate the fact that, hey, you know, you're not simply paying here for a brand, but rather to produce high quality olive oil, there's sets and standards for specific varieties that require much more labor, much more cost involved, and even more so understanding the chain on a sustainable level of consuming a product that allows everyone in the chain, farmers, everyone to, you know, live a decent life and, and bring more opportunities. You take that kind of out of the equation and people have always thought of olive oil on a very commodity basis. Fortunately, you know, the market is moving definitely to a better future. But, you know, you consider olive oil 40 years ago, you were pretty much only stuck with three choices at the supermarket by, you know, not going to mention names, but the, the main players selling you olive oil that was coming from all over the world, just blended, mixed in to meet price and demand. Finally, I think consumer are now starting to understand a little bit of, I don't want to say varietal just yet, but at least provenance and single origin and you know, what cold press means, what harvested by end means compared to harvested by machine, you know, what low density plantation are in comparison to high density. And so understanding the ecosystem and why I say agriculture is important to eventually unlock the perspective and say, hey, if I'm paying three, four, five more dollars for this bottle of olive oil or this packaging of olive oil is my four dollar justified by the way that these people are approaching olive oil making all throughout and ultimately if the answer is yes you should be very happy of having purchased something that is not only more delicious which in most cases happens to be the case but even more so that supports an environment that further enriches culture that further enriches people and propels good practices for the agricultural system. Are you enjoying this podcast? Don't forget to visit our YouTube channel, Mama Jumbo Shrimp, for fascinating videos covering Stevie Kim and her travels across Italy and beyond, meeting winemakers, eating local food, and taking in the scenery. Now back to the show. Absolutely. I think I think you bring up a really important point about when we think oftentimes about how high of a quality a product is of the production, you know, the terms of whether it's organic or it's, you know, made in small production or whatnot, we often forget to think about the people that make it and how purchasing a product directly affects the livelihood of people and how they are so much part of that, of maintaining that ecosystem and big aspect, the biodiversity of these certain lands and allowing these different varietals 
to exist rather than focusing on, you know, certain varietals that yield more than others. And I think it's really cool that like you're able to balance between these two very different worlds. And I'm kind of curious to kind of bring it back into like, as if we're sitting at the table together, it'd be really cool if we were eating right now. But like, is there a dish that's from home for you that you share often with your friends in New York that is kind of that vehicle? Of course, the main dish, and it's going to sound very biased, but is a classic aglio, olio e peperoncino. Spaghetto aglio, olio e peperoncino is the ultimate bond maker of any friend. It's easy, simple, very few ingredients. If they're great ingredients, the dish is going to shine. Pretty much, you know, you're not going to find people that are against spicy chili, parsley, and, and olive oil. So it's very easy to please everyone. And when the technique is done well, it's you're able to have from, you know, such a simple poor ingredient, like one of the best meals and a conversation started. I think it's the ultimate Italian snack. You come out of a club at 4 a.m., what do you make? Aiolo e peperoncino. You don't have anything at home, but you want to have a quick lunch. You make aiolo e peperoncino. You're feeling tired, sad, happy. Like aiolo e peperoncino kind of fits every mood and every scenario. It's just like simply there is your companion in the kitchen that allows you to have a good time in a very fast pace. In 20 minutes, you're done. Absolutely. And you're exactly right. Like personifies. It's the one unifying dish of Italy because all of Italian food, the majority of it comes out of figuring out how to make a lot out of nothing and very simple ingredients. Aglio, olio, and peperoncino will taste different depending on what olive oil is used, where the garlic is grown, all these different facets. But it's always delicious when done right. I think that's that's super interesting. Have you ever tried to prepare it with like different olive oils for friends? All the time. I mean, it's uh, the, the beauty about the olive oil is that olive oil is a living product, just like wine. So based on the variety, based on when it was squeezed, and so the harvest time, so on and so forth, will have so many different characteristics. At least for the partana, so that's the, the nocellata del belice that we produce, it's going to be grassy, buttery, some notes of artichoke, some notes of tomato leaf and bitter almond. So you're going to have a, an aiole peperoncino that tends to be a little bit more on the sweeter, grassier, slightly, slightly peppery side. You make it on the other end with the, you know, a Tuscan variety, let's call it like a frantoio. It's going to be much more peppery, much more bitter. You make it with a coratina from... Uh, Puglia, it's going to be super strong, extremely like bitter almond and, you know, in a good way, bitter in a really good way. In the wine world where I think, you know, people are like, oh, should I have white or red? Well, you know, there's so many varieties that how do you even define like white or red as a category? You know, there's whites that drink like red and reds that drink like whites. And with olive oil is precisely the same. Nocellata del Belice from Castelvetrano are going to be buttery sweet. You move 40 minutes up north, uh, even in the area of Palermo, and you have Cerasuola, another variety indigenous to Sicily, much more earthy, kind of notes of cardoons, and the ripens and looks like a, a full-on cherry. So that's the beauty of agriculture product and agriculture in general, is the fact that it's different, it's unique, and it needs to be preserved for what it is. Absolutely. Especially in our world, it's like we have people so much interest, especially in Italy and like the tourism and whatnot. 
that these are the things that I always say, like, because of course, you know, I'm never going to throw any shade on pasta or pizza or anything like that. But to me, Italy shines through how by like its biodiversity and how amazing all like to have the most great varietals in any other uh, country in the world. And the size of Italy is a little bit bigger than Arizona. Then you have all these insane, you know, olive varietals, as you're saying, like that diversity, you can't let that go. Like it's, it's just such a, a blessing. And also I just wanted to say it's quite timely that we're talking about olive oil. I did not plan this. And right now the, the harvest season is happening. Yeah, we're full on uh, harvest at the moment. I know. So it's extra special. In fact, my cousins have a small olive farm in Southern Lazio and I was asking to go help, but they were like, my aunt was thinking some, I, I guess it's just an old school mindset. She's like, no, no, it's too hard of work. And I was like, I could do something. <laughs> and then I was, I gave up, but I might show up as a surprise. But anyways. Yeah, you showed up, at least taste the olive oil, bring some home. And it's like, yeah, I can help you take some away. Bye. <laughs> I, know, I know. It's so funny because the last time I was at their house, they stored some of their olive oil in an old Campari bottle for drizzling. I know it's iconic and I, I love it. So every time I'm there and he like wants to annoy anything that we're eating at the table, I just, I'm just in awe. Oh, amazing. I think I've always found olive oil to be, I mean, I understand that it doesn't come at a price point that's very convenient if we're speaking American consumers. But when we look at what people invest money in for health, right? Because a lot of people love olive oil because they know the antioxidants and all this stuff. But through your work, you actually have to make sure you're getting those benefits because like you said, people don't realize an olive is a fruit. Going back to the aglio olio e peperoncino. Okay, so what's beautiful about this conversation and also just makes you a wonderful interviewee for this podcast is you have a great knowledge of wine, which is so nice because now I'm going to really test you. I would like you to pick a wine pairing for aglio olio e peperoncino. But I want you to also identify which olive oil will be in the aglio olio peperoncino. Very interesting. Okay, so I love the, the question. I would say, so for my version of an aglio olio peperoncino with Castelvetrano olive oil, so Nocellare del Belice with the Partanna, I would totally go with either a Zibibbo, like an 100% Zibibbo, maybe with a slightly macerated Catarratto. Both very different in, in profile, but then it depends on how salty I want to go with the pasta. So I like my aglio peperoncino either very spicy and peppery or very salty. If I'm doing the very salty route, so a lot of salt in the pasta, maybe you melt two, three anchovy, maybe four, five, six, if you're like me. The zibibo and the sweetness around the zibibo will all kind of Coat it up, and Zibibo being a relatively short wine, so cleans it up, but allows you to have a next bite, and it's very easy, fast drinking, and ready to go. If you're making on the very spicy side, I almost like something that cuts throughout it, and macerated catarratto, like creamy so by Aldo Viola, is probably will be my my go-to pick. Allows with the maturation to enrich the flavor to a way that the cream is so feels almost like a marsala in terms of flavor profile, slightly zesty. And so cuts through and almost like, it's like, hmm, you're having like a fight. Imagine you're like with Muhammad Ali in the ring, but you're also another great fighter. And so you have this super spicy cake coming in, super delicious, like wakes you up. And then the macerated catarratto cleans it through, 
gives it a little bit more of minerality, a little bit more of floral notes. But then with the maceration, kind of gives you this masala notes and sweetness that I think is necessary in the pasta. And so this would be my two picks if I'm doing it with a Sicilian, with a Castelvetrano olive oil. There's so many multiple options. If I am going with the, let's say, a Biancolilla olive oil, which is a very sweet, floral, almost like lavender and lily-like flavor, I would love to actually pair it up with a nice, chilled French red gamay. A little bit of berry notes, still on the short side in terms of drinkability, but just super refreshing, almost like a fresh sour cherry. Possibly a little bit more on the chiller side, so like 10 degrees. I know anyone listening to this podcast will probably hate me for it, but I do love a gamay that is a little bit unstructured and rather colder than 16, 17 degrees. I'm with that. No, I see that. But ultimately, there's so many options and profiles. And I think Aiole Peperoncino is so versatile that it's like, sure, you want to drink a French Burgundy, you kind of can do it too. It's just going to change your perspective of how you enjoy the aioli peperoncino. You will definitely find more of the buttery notes of both the olive oil that then are complemented by the wine. You want to go with a Riesling and completely cut it through? Go ahead. You probably want to add much more parsley to the aioli peperoncino, and you're going to find those notes. You want to go on the primitivo route in Puglia, go heavy with the garlic, and it feels like super rustic. So it's fully up to interpretation, but then balance out each ingredient depending on uh, what the type of wine you want to drink. Or realistically, you should do that. You bring all of your friends together. You cook for 10 people. Each one of them brings a different bottle of wine that we just discussed, and you enjoy them all. That's usually how it goes down either way. <laughs> Just start drinking everything by the end of the day. <laughs> exactly. I really enjoyed how you kind of parceled out each ingredient and highlighted how they can support different wines because it shows that complexity of aglio olio peperoncino. Even though it is so simple, it can be so different. And then you added in the, the anchovies, very Sicilian of you, which I, I love anchovies and adding that umami kick in saltiness. Oh gosh, yes. I think people could actually, I say this lightly, but budget really well if they're just like eating aglio olio and peperoncino all the time. And then you just invest more in your wine and your olive oil and see how it goes. Exactly. Everyone listen, anchovies are the well-kept secrets of grandma's pantry. So make sure you have two jars of anchovies at your house. Oh yeah, I have them. I have a lot. They save my life, especially at 4 a.m. More often than not. It's better than kebab because in Rome, it's like you have two options. You eat kebab or you go home and eat pasta. Exactly. Well, you know, we're going to wrap things up now. But before we go, I just want to cover five key things from our interview today in under five minutes. And I will hit the timer whenever you are ready. Let's do it. And please keep me on time as I often get sidetracked. Don't worry. This is the Italian wine podcast. We're well versed in getting sidetracked. All right. Ready? Yes. All right. You know, where are you based? I am based in New York City and in Partana, Sicily. What is your business and what's the philosophy? My business is Partana Specialty Foods. We make extra virgin olive oil and Castelvetrano olives. And my philosophy is 
Be connected at the agriculture level, be connected with your guests, be connected with your customers, and ultimately showcase the line from farming to table. Perfect. And what was our featured dish of discussion today? Our featured dish was an aglio, olio e peperoncino. Easy. And, okay, here's the hard part. Pick one wine pairing. It would have to be a catarratto, a macerated catarratto. And that was the one with all the anchovies, right? Yes, with all the anchovies. And finally, you're in good time. Could you share with us your thoughts on Italy's food future for the youth? One major trend around Italy in the food future, people that are truly in food, and what I mean by food, connected at agricultural level, at community level, we need to be more hospitable. And I see a lot of people going into the hospitality space as a kind of, an add-on to their current business. Definitely a lot of winemakers are doing, and I encourage even more so everyone else in the uh, in any space like to do it as well, whether you're making prosciutto or you're making olive oil or you're making pasta. Hospitality is not only a form of tourism, it incentivates and helps people to, uh, to understand more uh, about what you're doing and about the culture and about everything that goes around it. Uh, on our end, we are uh, indeed hosting farming tours in Sicily right now during the olive harvest, and we invite you all to uh, come and visit. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Nino. It was lovely, lovely chatting today. Um, and I wish you the best of luck with harvest this year and all the aglio, olio e peperoncino that your heart desires. <laughs> Thank you very much, Victoria. Always a pleasure chatting with you. And I uh, hope you're drinking great wine and having a Yolo Peperoncino tonight. <laughs> I think I might, actually. <laughs> All right. Ciao, everyone. As always, a big grazie for hanging out with me today. Remember, you can catch me on the Italian Wine Podcast every Sunday and anywhere you can get your pots.